Thank you, Lord God. Today we're going to spend a little time in the book of Judges. We're going to study the life of one of the most talked about characters in the Bible, Samson. You see, the book of Judges is very relevant to today. It records the Israelites' descent into sin and its terrible consequences. The 12 heroes or the 12 judges of the book, both male and female, seem larger than life at times. But they were imperfect, just like us. Judges is a stern reminder that God punishes sin, but is always ready to take the repentant back into his heart. Amen. You see, Judges takes place in ancient Canaan, the promised land given by God to the Jews. But if you go back to the book of Numbers, you don't have to turn there, but in Numbers 33, chapter, chapter 33, verses uh, 50 through 56, God gives specific instructions to Moses regarding possessing the promised land of Canaan. Verse 50 goes on, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan across from Jericho. Tell the Israelites when you cross to the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you must drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their stone images, cast images, and demolish all of their high places. You are to take possession of the land and settle in it because I have given you the land to possess. Verse 55. But if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, those you allow to remain will become thorns in your eyes and in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you will live. And what I had planned to do to them, I will do to you. Let me read that verse again. Verse 55. But if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, those you allow to remain will become thorns in your eyes and in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live. And what I had planned to do to them, I will do to you. You see, under Joshua, the Jews conquered the land with God's help. But after Joshua's death, the lack of a strong central government led to infighting among the tribes and periodic oppression by the wicked people who lived there. Those are the inhabitants that they allowed to remain. You see, compromise, a serious problem with people today, is one of the main themes of Judges. When the Israelites failed to completely drive out the wicked nations in Canaan, they left themselves open to their influences, mainly idolatry and immorality. You see, God, uses, God used the oppressors to bring the Jews to a place of repentance. The Jews' disloyalty to him had painful consequences, but they repeated the pattern of, fall, of falling away many times. When Israel was in trouble and cried out to God, he would send them a judge, amen, a deliverer who would liberate them from their oppressors. Most of the judges were faithful, obedient, and godly people. 
we're going to skip around. I think it's going to be in Judges 16 or so. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. We're, we're, yeah, yeah, we're going to skip. Just take good notes because I got a whole lot to say today. Well, the Lord has a whole lot to say today. Uh, so Samson, however, was a little different from the rest in terms of the judges. You see, most of the judges lived by faith and were obedient to the will of God. However, Samson lived most of his life not by faith. He lived in the power of his flesh. Samson spent most of his life trying to please Samson. Samson's life was one riddled with compromise after compromise. So the title of today's message is uh, when compromise silences convictions. Well, we're going to light up in here today. <laughs> when compromise silences convictions. Amen? You see, physically, Samson was the most powerful and imposing of all the judges. However, spiritually, he was the weakest. Most of his exploits result, revolved around him seeking revenge against those who offended him. Most of his exploits arise out of his sinful desires or love for the for, uh, forbidden women. More scripture is devoted to Samson than nearly any other judge. And I wonder why. Hmm. But that scripture reveals a man who is not that should not be imitated I should say Samson's life should be studied but not duplicated yet the lessons we learn from the life of Samson teaches us that the greatest enemy we have is ourselves if we can learn to conquer self then we can walk in this life with spiritual victory and in power amen But I fear that there is more Samson in each of us that we would like to admit. Amen? You see, only got a couple of amens on that one. You see, <laughs> you see, Samson was extraordinary in his birth. If you look in Judges chapter 13, it talks about how Samson was born. Uh, the birth of Samson was announced by a visit from the angel of the Lord. I'm just giving you laying the foundation. We're going to go somewhere with this. He was extraordinary in his accomplishments. Samson is remembered as a strong man of the Bible. He killed a lion in Judges 14. He performed many great feats of strength in Judges 15 and 16. Samson was always battling the Philistines to prevent them from capturing control of Israel. He killed 30 Philistines at one time in Judges 14, Another time, he killed a 1,000 with the jawbone of a donkey in uh, Judges 15. It's ironic that Samson was always battling the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were one of those nations that the Israelites failed to drive out. And the Philistines are one of the greatest enemies of God's people. Last month, when we talked about uh, time to reopen the wells, we learned that the Philistines represent the flesh. The flesh is always the enemy of God. 
The word Philistine means wallowing. The Philistines are those who are still wallowing in the dust of the earth or their flesh. Amen. So, again, it seems ironic that Samson was always battling the Philistines. See, his external battles were indicative of his internal struggles. Did you catch that? Samson's external battles with the Philistines were indicative of his internal struggles with himself, with his flesh, with his will. Samson proved he was a man of God by the power of the spirit that rested on him. In Judges 13, 14, and 15, he enjoyed miracles from the hand of God. In Judges 15, 18, 18 through 19, he was a servant of the Lord for many years. Judges 15, 20. So it clearly lays out Samson's, the book of Judges clearly lays out Samson's life. But just like Samson, the child of God lives an extraordinary life. Each and every one of us, we live an extraordinary life. Amen? We are redeemed from sin by the grace of God. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God, privileged to hold and read the Word of God, and able to fellowship with God through prayer. Amen? Our lives are marked by many victories and many advantages. Things which we do so often that we have to come, that we, we've come to take them for granted, such as prayer. We take prayer for granted. We take our service to the Lord for granted. We take witnessing for granted. We take all of God's blessings for granted. And all this proves that we are different and that we have a God-given potential to, to achieve great things, amen, through him. We just move from victory to victory as his children. But when we go back and we look at Samson's life, there are many, many problems that we can shine the light on. As great as Samson's strength and potential might have been, he was a man faced with many, many spiritual problems. These spiritual weaknesses overrode his physical power to make him the weakest strong man in the history of the world, the weakest strong man in the history of the world. You see, Samson had great physical strength, but he was very weak, controlling himself. You see, Samson faced powerful adversaries. I'm still laying the foundation. Samson may have battled the Philistines for over by probably about 20 years or so. But again, his greatest enemy was himself. His own flesh and his fleshly appetites proved to be his undoing. Instead of surrendering body, soul, and spirit to the will of the Lord, he allowed the flesh to control his life, and he paid a high price. So you and I can fuss about the devil or about this enemy or that enemy or this demon or whatever it is, but the greatest enemy we will ever face will always be ourselves. Amen? I'm going somewhere with this. As one man said, we have met the enemy and he is us. It's true, but every problem we face with temptation and sin 
in our lives does not come from an external source. We always say that the devil is tempting me. No, he's not. Every temptation originates from within. You don't believe me? James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 states, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So every temptation that we will ever face originates from within. Stop blaming the devil. You're giving him credit that he doesn't deserve. He's sitting there smiling, talking about, oh, yeah, you want to give me credit for it? All right. But he has nothing to do with it. It comes from within. And I know that is a hard thing to swallow, but it is still the truth. It isn't the devil out there to get you. Huh. It's you out to get yourself. See, the reason why many believers are comfortable with sin around them is because they are comfortable with the sin in them. Let me say that one more time. The reason why many believers are comfortable with the sin around them is because they are comfortable with the sin in them. Ephesians 4, through 24 states, strip yourself of your former nature, put off and discard your old unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lust and desires that spring from delusion. Verse 23, and be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. Verse 24. And put on the new nature of the regenerate self, created in God's image, godlike in true righteousness and holiness. We are to fight every moment of every day. According to 1 Corinthians 9, 27, it says, but like a boxer, I buffet my body, handle it roughly, discipline it by hardships and subdue it for the fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit, not stand the test and be unapproved and rejected as a counterfeit. Let me clarify that. What that is saying is that we are to discipline ourselves. We are to subdue ourselves. We are to control ourselves. Because if we don't, we could be the very ones who are out there witnessing and testifying, singing praises to his name, preaching his word. But because we have not disciplined are controlled ourselves, we will be rejected as a counterfeit. Number six, verses one through eight, talks about Samson. It talks about his life. His life was to be one that was totally dedicated to the Lord. He was called to be separate 
called out. He was a, a peculiar person. Yet he lived for himself. Taking his vows as a Nazarite for granted. See, that covenant he made with God really didn't mean anything. He took it for granted. He was deceitful. He was lustful. And he was proud and arrogant about it. He was easily angered and he lacked self-control. Sadly, this describes some of us this morning. Samson, by the end of his career, seems to be living a total lifestyle of sin. He has reached a place where he treats his testimony like a trinket and his reputation like rubbish. Samson has come to a place where the compromises in his life has silenced every single conviction. He boldly and arrogantly flaunted his sinful life, just like many of us this morning. We no longer feel convicted. Your testimony is the most valuable thing you possess in this world. Guard it with your life. If you ever allow your testimony to become tarnished, you will never be able to restore it to where it was in the eyes of those who saw you fail. God will forgive you if you repent. But men will still remember what you did until their dying days. So because of his sinfulness, his failure to control his fleshly desires and impulses, Samson paid a terrific price. The losses in his life, the context of his sins with Delilah, As a result of his sins, he suffered. He lost his vision in Judges 16. He lost his strength. See, imagine being bound so much by sin that you cannot even worship. You couldn't experience God if he stood in front of your face, which the presence of the Lord fell in this place. But some of us couldn't worship. You're bound so much by sin that you cannot even enjoy his presence, his word, or his people. Low living carries with it the high price of sapping your spiritual strength and leaving you weak before the Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Samson lost his victory. Nothing is any more sad than a believer who is out of fellowship with the Lord Jesus. They lack joy. They lack peace. They're not happy. They are defeated, discouraged, and demoralized. 
Sin will literally grind you to a powder, which is what, ironically, at the end of Samson's life, Samson had his eyes plucked out and he was grinding corn. They strapped him to a mill and he was just grinding corn, which back then was considered to be women's work. So they humiliated this great man of strength. So what can we learn from Samson's life? First thing, the fall of Samson didn't happen overnight. He ruined his life one step at a time. As a matter of fact, Samson walked 25 miles each way to get to Delilah. He walked 25 miles, 56,200 steps to get to Delilah. Now picture this, this mighty man of God already conceived in his mind what he was going to do to Delilah or with Delilah. And he walked 25 miles to carry it out each and every time. Somewhere in one of those steps, he should have been convicted. But because he constantly lived a life of compromise, Conviction evaded him. He constantly taunted and played with his enemies, the Philistines, his flesh. He kept playing with and around sin. You see, Samson assumed that his willful disobedience would never catch up to him. Like many of us, that it wouldn't cost him anything. 1 Corinthians 10.12 states, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, who feels sure that he has a steadfast mind and is standing firm, take heed lest he fall into sin. Hebrews 10.26-31, If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, and there's been plenty of truth, that has come across this pulpit. There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the rage and fire that will consume his enemies. 1 John 3, 8 through 10. Those who have been born into God's family Born again, do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Romans 8, 6, to be carnally or worldly or fleshly minded is death. James 4 and 4, you adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. 
If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Luke 6, 46 through 49. Jesus says, so why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't obey what I say? Titus 1, 16. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Numbers 33, 55, 56, going back to the beginning, states, but if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, those you allow to remain will become the very thorns in your eyes and in your sides. They will harass you. In the land where you live, verse 56. And what I had planned to do to them, your enemies, I will do to you. You see, time and time again, the Lord has sent a message of warning from this very The body of Christ is out of order and is in grave danger of more serious judgment if they do not repent and stop playing games with Jezebel. You see, Jezebel is is, is, you're playing with manipulation. You're playing with control. You're playing with sexual immorality. Then also Ahab. Ahab's a spirit of greed, rebellion, and blatant disobedience. And you're playing in the Father's house. God is not playing. Beloved, don't get it twisted. Judgment is coming. And it's coming in this season. You see, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18 says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Time is running short. Like I said earlier, time and time again, a word of warning has come across this pulpit. This, says the Lord, is your last warning. Get it right. Get it right today. Do not leave this place. Michael, can you play that track? Do not leave this place the same way you came in. Because judgment is coming. Let me put it this way. Judgment is here. It has already started. You wonder why a lot of us, many of us are continuing to be sick in our bodies. 
why sometimes healing hasn't manifest, why sometimes things just aren't going right in our lives. It's because of the blatant, arrogant, sinful lifestyle that we live. God's not plain anymore. And I know this wasn't an easy message. It wasn't an easy message for me to get up here and say it. I've wrestled with this all week long. As a matter of fact, last night, I was sick to my stomach. Because I did not want to bring this message. But God is saying, enough is enough. Judgment is coming, and it's coming to the house of God before it hits the streets. But judgment is coming. Everybody stand to your feet. Today, it's between you and God. There's no need to come up to get hands laid on you. Right now, it is between you and God. It is up to us to set our will to do what God has called us to do. See, God is never going to fight against our will. But he will give you that very thing that you put above him, that very idol that you raised, that very sin that you refuse to let go. It's going to be that sin that will undo you. Just like the Israelites in Egypt. All those plagues that they had to encounter, that they had to face, each and every one of those plagues represented an idol that was raised in Egypt. So God is saying the very thing that you refuse to let go is going to be the very avenue that his judgment is going to come through. Have mercy.